Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, good morning, City Collective, and thanks for being part of our online gathering on this surprisingly final weekend of January 2021. I know it's hard to believe it, but my name is Jason, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. Like I said, hard to believe. It's the first month of the year, and it's already come and gone, but we've had a great month here at City Collective. We made the best of all that we've been able to do as a church. And if you've been unable to join us for, let's say, a couple of the weeks, Um, in this past month, I would highly encourage you to check out some of the sermons that we've used to start this year. We've had culture conversations about holy ambition and an overcoming spirit before jumping into our current series, which we're going to be wrapping up today, called Deeply Formed. This has been a powerful and important series for us as a church as we consider the impact of of experiences, of relationships and actions upon the roots of our lives and how they can spark things like anxiety, how they can require forgiveness and provide an opportunity for us to find a rhythm. This past week was uh, an opportunity for us to reflect upon the idea of mental health. And as I've been walking through this series, in many ways, I felt like it's been an exposition on my own life and how I'm constantly exposed for a Allowing life to simply be formed instead of recognizing the ways in which I lean into what it means to be deeply formed. So, if this is your first time here in church this morning or you've shown up today a little unsure of how you feel about church or faith, uh, let me just offer a welcome. Um, the idea of Jesus is you don't need to worry about having yourself in a perfect place. Jesus didn't come so that we can have a perfect picture of perfect people in, in perfect churches, but it's about discovering the rhythms of life that actually impact us and how Jesus is in the midst of it all. Jesus said he came for the hurting and the sick, the real, the honest, authentic versions of ourselves that are constantly growing, learning, and being stretched in our day-to-day existence. And so my encouragement to you this morning, would you just open yourself to who Jesus is for and who Jesus is and what that means for us. So wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith this morning, my hope is that you discover who Jesus is in the real rhythms of life. So uh, to recap really briefly, in week one, we talked about the impact of our experiences on our mental health and and the reality of anxiety, about the need for self-examination. In week two, we discussed the real strain of of relationships and the need for relationships upon our mental health and how we are invited to forgive as we have been forgiven and experience the freedom that we all crave. Now this week, uh, we're going to be wrapping up by looking at the impact of our actions on our mental health, but in particular, the consistent actions we undertake, our, our rhythms. This can be a broad conversation, but in particular, I feel that we are more than ever in feeling this deep need for for hurry. Even in our orders to stay at home and limit social gatherings, we still find ourselves in a rush. And what I want to talk about today is our need for, for contemplative rhythms in our exhausted lives. I truly believe that this is a matter for us to care for our mental health. 
Um, we talked about David and the elements of self-examination that is needed in facing our anxiety. And I think that the life of David also shows the value of, of contemplative rhythms. I'm going to define that for us if you're not really sure exactly what we're talking about. See, David, David was a man after God's own heart. That's what the Bible says. And, and a lot of the Psalms that David wrote, they, they came from a place of, of silence and solitude. Da David was a man of contemplation, a, a man of silence. In Psalm 27 verse 4, he wrote, One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David's life as a young man was one of, of stillness and, and silence and solitude, but he was in the midst of chaos, sheep shearing, songwriting, fighting giants, lions, and bears. But even in the chaos and unpredictable life he lived, he guarded the stillness to prioritize God's presence. The songs he wrote and music he played, they flowed from this place. David wrote psalms about quieting his soul. If we take a peek at Psalm 131 verse 2, or, or finding a way for his soul to wait in silence, and, and being still knowing that God is God. Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible, and it is one that emerges from the depths of contemplation and reflection. And I think this is vital for our mental health. In Psalm 46 verse 10, David writes this of God. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All this to say, as we dive in today, that this contemplative rhythm isn't just about getting a nap and catching our breath, though those are wonderful, but it's about finding true rest in the knowledge of God, to find true rest in a relationship with God, to find true rest in being with God. Why? Because we often create internal strain through our misidentification of where we find value and where we should rest. I don't know about you, but I need to find that true rest. So let me ask you a question as we begin. Is there something that you do that people around you know you by? I'm not talking about your, your job, a, a talent, or a status. I'm talking about one of those contemplative rhythms that we don't realize are so contemplative. They're just a habit and that you don't, you're kind of known by them. I can feel like a wide range of emotions coming across the screen well, and, and like light bulbs going up across the room. That we all have these habits that we're kind of known by. Um, these bits of our life, these personalities, which we're, we're trying to get better at if we're being honest, but still occasionally, perhaps rarely, sometimes we fall short in these areas even though we're aware of them. And I'm speaking really honestly this morning. I have a confession that I find that punctuality is not always my strongest character trait. Now, don't look at each other as if you say, oh, we know. I preface this by saying I'm trying to get better. Don't judge me, y'all got issues too. I'm aware of this weakness. There has been friends who brought to my attention that I have had uh, quote unquote delayed their, their wedding. Um, and they told me that it was started at 2.30 because they planned to begin at 2.45 because of me. Um, that did hurt, I'm not bitter. Um, <laughs> in other moments of what I would characterize as unneeded criticism. Uh, 
I, I've used the classic um, race card and I joked about IST, Indian Standard Time. I'm just, it's a culture-wide problem and I can't be held accountable for such issues. I'm truly just staying true to my roots. This uh, argument has not worked with my wife and has been a point of contention for Adriana and myself as she would actually prefer to be early, not just on time. And my brain sometimes has trouble computing this as my habits don't really equate with that kind of language. But I've learned that I can try to negotiate with myself or trick myself out of my lateness. For example, I set my clock forward six minutes so that it feels like I'm later than I am when I actually get there. And then I push it and I feel the rush, I feel the excitement, I feel the achievement of getting there. This adrenaline pumping moment of I gotta get there on time. And a bad habit can manifest in this moment. I can procrastinate and come about as like double booking myself. And in general, it can feel like busyness. It's just not a healthy rhythm in my my life that I'm constantly trying to work through. And the truth is, is that we live in a culture that is addicted to hurry. And we want to rest, but we can't because the nicotine of achievement is just too tempting. And so we just give in and busyness has transformed from something that was once seen as a burden to something worth boasting about now. I am so busy. We've all said it. Honestly, in our culture, busyness is a trophy showing others how valuable we are. But deep down in the midst of all of that, our restless hearts long for a break. Our lives can easily take us to the brink of burnout and the pace we live at is often destructive. The, the, the lack of, of margin is debilitating. We're worn out in all of this. The problem before us is not just the frenetic pace we live at, but, but what gets pushed out from our lives as a result, a life with God. Parker Palmer, he makes a compelling case that burnout typically does not come about because we're given, given so much of ourselves that we have nothing left. He tells us that burnout, it merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. What if there was a rhythm in life? that could instead enable us to deeply connect with God. A lifestyle not dominated by hurry and exhaustion, but by margin and joy. No matter our walks of life or professions, the struggle is real. Parents trying to find a moment of quiet just from the craziness of their kids. Doctors caught in the unending pressures of life and death choices. Teachers whose work really never seems to end. Sleep deprived students floundering through exams. Immigrants or small business owners struggling to make ends meet. And, and therapists and social workers overwhelmed with the bottomless crisis that they need to resolve daily. The pace of our lives can be brutal. Without denying these realities though, we're invited to a different way of being in the world. Japanese theologian Soku Koyama wrote a book titled Three Mile an Hour God. He was, he was trying to communicate that if we want to communicate with God, if we want to connect with God, we'd be wise to travel at God's speed. God has all the time in the world and as a result, he's not in a rush. He claims that God travels at three miles an hour, which is not simply meant to be like an arbitrary figure. On average, humans actually walk at this pace. And it's when we're in this, this ambling, unhurried, more leisurely moments that we often encounter God. 
And to you, right, he says it's only when we slow down our lives that we can catch up to God. And this is the paradox of contemplative rhythms. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating that we go back to dial-up internets, that we take boats instead of airplanes. Speed has helped remake our world in ways that are, that are wonderful and, and liberating, but, but speed also has caused our connections with God and others to be incredibly superficial. There, there's a severe lack of depth in our lives and communities because we've allowed ourselves to be swept up by, by a world under the influence of, of addictive speed. I don't know if you've seen this in your life, I've seen it in mine. Dallas Willard, he, he, he famously says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. What if I've learned, what I've learned is that a life without an intentional commitment to slow down is one that I can't find hope in. We have no hope for a quality of life that doesn't allow that to take place, that Jesus isn't forming us. Instead, we're being regularly formed by the pace, noise, and values of the surrounding world. Yet to be deeply formed is to regularly come back to a different rhythm. Are you able to be present? Or do you find yourself constantly in a state of wandering to the next thing because of the rhythm that you have established for your life? Contemplative rhythms matter. Right from the beginning of the Bible, God establishes rhythm in the flourishing of the world. This, this biblical imagination of God at work and now at rest is really interesting to me in this creation story. Six days of work, one day of rest, that God leans in and God leans back. And then there's this line in Genesis where it says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested. And this is fascinating because the word because is this little word key in Hebrew, which often simply means when. So this phrase could actually easily be translated to say, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy when God rested. I really like this idea that it was this simple act of resting that somehow made this day holy because the word holy is the word kadesh and that means to set apart or to make different. And so maybe it simply was the fact that God did something different that day that made it holy and therefore that means that rest is somehow holy in its relationship with work. That work and rest, they make each other holy and that maybe neither has much meaning on its own and we need to Remember that our work is made holy when we rest. But have you ever found that those two things seem to get in the way of each other? Perhaps you're like me and you take so much pleasure in working hard or you have so much to do that rest can, can feel like a little bit of like a distraction. Um, I'll rest when I'm dead is like that sentiment that seems to resonate within each of us. The speed at which we live does violence against our soul. The inner and outer distractions minimize the capacity for us to see God's goodness around and within us. So we need a new rhythm to our lives, an intentional action of rhythm to flourish in who God has made each of us to be. Rich Velotis, he gives this example, imagining a scenario in which someone is locked inside of a supermarket, but they die of starvation. 
And it feels like the most ironic of situations, and you might say that this is impossible, yet in our spiritual lives, this happens every day. Whether we know it or not, we are locked inside the supermarket of God's abundant and unending life and love. It's available to us, and yet, you and I, people around us, are spiritually starving, but it doesn't have to be this way. God is committed to our transformation. He's not in the business of, of simply improving our lives. He wants to infuse them with His life, His love. Every day, He moves towards us in love, reaching, seeking, and pleading with us to pay attention. And this is the essence of what I mean when I say contemplative rhythms to begin to partake of that which is freely given. We have to open up ourselves to God's way of being. Like Paul says in Galatians 5.16, we are invited to live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit. So this morning, I want to give you four practices to consider establishing a contemplative rhythm for yourself. I, I meant three. I'm going to give you three practices. <laughs> Number one, silent prayer. Silent prayer is to simply sit and think about who God is and his promises. At the core of it is that commitment to establish relationship with God based on friendship rather than demands. To just intentionally be together. Silent prayer, in the most basic of terms, is the practice of focusing our attention upon God through the simplicity of shared presence. It's a surrender of our words to be present with the word. I would say for myself that one of the challenges I face in even considering something like silent prayer, which doesn't sound particularly exciting to me, is pure boredom. Let's be honest here. But here's where I wanna shift our thinking. I don't want you to pretend that you don't feel boredom come on sometimes. Rather, I want you to think of that boredom during silent prayer as an act of purification. In this uneventful moment, God purifies us of the false God of good feelings. While good feelings are gifts, they can easily become ends in themselves. We can, we can move from worshiping the God of the universe to worshiping our spiritual experiences, to worshiping that feel-good moment, to worshiping those, those moments we manufacture. And I think that something like silent prayer is often something I, I want to avoid because it forces me to exercise the demons of excitement, stimulation, and distraction. But it's in these moments that, that God is truly shaping and forming us. Practicing silent prayer is not and has not been easy. But over time, it's something that I'm trying to grow into, even if it is just a couple moments every day. One of the other challenges of silent prayer I think that we all face, I face, is pure distraction. And it, and it can sometimes become an excuse as if it's not even worth trying. I get distracted all the time. But I love this quote from Thomas Keating saying that if your mind gets distracted 10,000 times in 20 minutes of prayer, it's 10,000 opportunities to return to God. What if we saw distraction as this inescapable reality that actually positions us to, with an opportunity to come back to God? What a powerful opportunity that could be. The second contemplative practice I want us to consider this morning is this idea of keeping the Sabbath. Keeping the Sabbath. It's, it's taking a committed day each week, 
to truly rest and reflect and interrupt the busyness of our lives. And I have immense trouble with this. And I'm constantly being challenged, particularly by my wife, to include this in my own rhythm. The, the, the first time that we're told about Sabbath, we read about it at the very beginning of the Bible. And that is this invitation to tap into the rhythm of creation. But it's explained further on as God presents it to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 5, verse 15 to 17. So we're going to read that. It says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The, the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Pharaoh and his slave drivers. It's a way of saying yes to God and his world and a way of saying no to, to Egypt, a.k.a. Uh, the system. But why in the world would ex-slaves need to be warned not to go back to slavery? Well, in Egypt... The Hebrews were slaves, and slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves are, are something less than human. They're a commodity to buy and sell. They only have value in what they produce. They work all day, every day, until they die. Rest isn't an option for a slave. And here's the beauty of Sabbath. Rest is a byproduct of freedom. No freedom, no rest. And there is language about endless work and restlessness strung all throughout the Exodus story. The statements like, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. You are stopping them from working. What are you doing? Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working. They, they can't stop. Lazy, that's what you are. Lazy. And that's just in one chapter. But that's all throughout that story for the people of Israel. And here's the truth for you and I. Pharaoh is alive and well in our time today. He's that guilty feeling in your gut, that voice in the back of your head screaming at you saying, work harder, work faster, work longer. You need to produce, produce, produce. You're only as good as your daily quota. Make more bricks. Make more sales. Make more whatever it is. It's not just Pharaoh's ghost haunting our world. It's even his economic system that's still thriving. We don't call it Egypt anymore. We call it uh, capitalism. We call it free trade. We call it consumerism or Black Friday or 0% financing. We, 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 we have things that we're looking to achieve and it's ubiquitous. You can't drive down the road or stand in a grocery store line or open your computer without society screaming at you to get more, own more, have more. Who cares where it comes from? Who cares what it costs? You just need to work hard. You need to work hard enough to deserve it. You don't have enough. But the idea of Sabbath is a replication of the rhythm that God has modeled and a necessary antidote to our fixation with what we can achieve. Are you being held captive by your metrics of achievement? Because isn't it the truth that we all find so much of our value in what we achieve? The work we do dictates the value that we have. But rest isn't about the absence of work. It's about the discovery of value. Rest is acknowledging that there is a God and that isn't me. It's a byproduct of true freedom in our lives. So keeping the Sabbath was number two and then number three is 
be in community. Contemplative life is not meant to be a solo practice. It's, it's an invitation to a shared life with others. In, in silent prayer, we're called to withstand the, the inner disturbances and annoyances of ourselves for the sake of being in union, communion with God, our, our boredom and our distraction like we talked about. But in a commitment to community, we withstand the disturbances and annoyances of others. Let's be honest. But we do it for the sake of union with God and union with each other. And, and this is not an easy task. I'm referring to our call to remain connected with others, especially in moments of conflict, moments of tension, moments of anxiety, moments when it's not easy. But when we begin to engage in some of these contemplative rhythms, we slow our lives down to discover God in our midst and discover God in community. We gain an awareness of ourselves and God that allows us to care for the areas that need to be cared for and love in a way that is truly of God. A rhythm of rest is discovering our value is beyond what we do. So my hope for us today as a church is that you would become deeply formed as you look beneath the surface to live free and love well. Silent prayer, keeping the Sabbath, committing to community, that you would lean into these areas for our, our experiences, for our relationships, for our rhythms and our actions, that we would be a people that would discover all over again how much God loves us. Because isn't the, what we ultimately learn for? Aren't you tired of living at a pace that blurs out peace and beauty and joy? We, we can live free and discover love because... God first loved us, and Jesus did not come to earth so that we could be consumed by a need to find our value in our achievement or our production. Jesus came so that you and I might find our value, our hope, our identity in our relationship with God. As children of God, eternally, unconditionally, and freely loved. My prayer this morning is that revelation of love would fill your home that it would spark a hunger for these contemplative rhythms, that it would upend your misaligned priorities and draw you to the only place that you will ever find true healing and wholeness in the presence of God. So maybe it's just a couple moments of silent prayer. Maybe it is taking a, a, a step forward to commit yourself to community. Maybe it's picking a day this week that I'm going to keep Sabbath that, that day. And I'm going to invite the presence of God into my life and into my home. So we're going to pray right now, and I would just invite you, would you just lean in with me as we trust God to give us the rest that we need as we discover the love that we truly crave. So Father, we give you thanks that you invite us all throughout your scriptures to tap into your rhythm the rhythm of creation, the rhythm of finding our value in you, that we would start to create space in the hurriedness, in the busyness, in the chaos of our lives, to do more than simply run the rat race around us, but to run towards you, to make space in our lives, to invite that presence that you are constantly giving to us, to do more than just be a nice idea, but be at the very center of our lives. I pray our homes right now would be these, these places of contemplative rhythms to be all over us. Thank you that 
that your gift of life is one that we can fully lean into. We give you thanks for all that you're doing. We give you thanks for how you're shaping us. And we just believe right now that this next season will be one of great strength in the mental health of our community. That anxiety would not have a name for us to hold on to. That it would be a place that we would just come to you with over and over again. That the relationships that we would hold would be healed as we invite forgiveness in. And that our actions, our habits, our rhythms would not simply be things that take place around us, but we would be intentionally deeply formed by a contemplative rhythm that draws us into your presence. We give you all the glory. We give you all the thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.